0: Hello there. Welcome to the Africa Rights Talk Podcast, a center for human rights podcast series exploring a range of human rights issues through conversations with academics, practitioners, and activists. I am your host, Victoria Amechi. Let's dive in. the thing, and thank you for honoring my invitation to join the podcast i mean celebrate your work your achievements and it's really an honor to have you on the podcast um good evening
1: good evening no <laughs> thank you for having me i'm very excited to
0: be here yeah yeah i'm so very glad to have you okay so um we're here in honor of your book launch and i would allow you to introduce yourself to the audience and what is it that you do sure. and relationship with the center
1: I do a lot, but sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I'm Satang uh, Nabane. I'm from the Gambia. Um, My relationship with the center started back in 2011, I think, uh, when I came for the mood court competition in South Africa, which was my first time, and I was uh, doing my undergrad. I participated in the mood court competition. And then in 2012, I actually got in into the HRDA program as the youngest in the class, which is very exciting. Um, so I spent the year here, well, part of the year, uh, with an incredible group of colleagues and friends who, who are lifetime friends uh, all over the continent um, and spent the second semester in Mozambique. I went back to the Gambia, um, lectured at the University uh, of the Gambia, as well as coordinated the Female Lawyers Association. But yeah, I mean, since then, I have been a part and parcel of the center. There is something with the center mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. when you come in, you're, you know, it's for life. Not to mention that with the Pretoria Mafia as well. Um, And then I also did uh, my uh, LLD here um, at the university uh, with Professor Charles Nguena as my supervisor, as well as. Uh, Professor uh, Glopin at the University of Bergen as my co-supervisor. And I have been an integral part uh, of the sexual and reproductive rights program as well. And so I uh, teach, supervise students. And during the doctoral um, period, uh, I was also uh, part of the Women's Rights Unit, uh, supporting the special repertoire on the rights of women in Africa. Yeah. And just coming back to the question around Mm. what I do, you know, on the side, Mm -hmm. (laughs) apart from that. um, So I do consider myself an African feminist um, researcher, scholar and activist. I started as a child activist when I was eight years old in the Gambia, and so activism has always been an integral part and led me into academia, and so, and, and that also speaks to the book as well. I'm very much interested in how we, um, you know, bridge the divide between theory and practice. Um, research uh, academia is as vital as how we ensure that um, the, the research that we do is useful uh, for grassroots organizations as well as uh, other stakeholders,
0: especially in changing the lives of people. So, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Mm, Perfect. That's very nice and not humble introduction. (laughs) But thank you for giving us that. Um, Can you please tell us what the book, the title of the book is?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, The title of the book is Choice and Conscience, uh, Lessons from South Africa for a
0: Global Debate. I'll put the link in the intro to... Yeah, it's open access. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very importantly, what inspired you to write this book?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I think... This book is a sort of a culmination of the journey that started, I think. Back when I started the HRDA, uh, because my mini dissertation, for example, was article was on Article 14 uh, of the Maputo Protocol and access to safe abortion, um, and then my doctoral research was also very much focused on um, access to uh, safe abortion, but most especially looking at the issue of conscientious objection. So when we talk about conscientious objection, we are talking about uh, the implied right uh, of um, people uh to refuse to do something based on their personal religious and moral beliefs and this is um an implied right that's provided for example it it is grounded the argument is that it's grounded in uh, the right to freedom of conscience yeah. which as we know is provided for in international regional human rights um instruments as well but i think particularly for me as i said i was very much interested in how i my research is not just um, uh, legal research. So this uh, research is a social legal research um, that informed uh, the book itself uh, that really brings together both in relation to applying, obviously, um, you know, looking at laws, judgments, and um, doing doctoral analysis, but most especially uh, applying uh, an intersectional and African feminist perspective Mm -hmm. uh, on uh, the provision of abortion services, especially within the South African context. And so looking at the role of mid-level providers, and when Mm -hmm. I talk about mid-level providers here, I talk about nurses and midwives, especially within the South African context, where as well as similar to uh, what we've seen in other uh, African countries as well, Now, mid-level providers are actually being given the mandate to provide abortion services, especially in the first trimester. So that means that uh, they play a critical role in terms of access. And um, that's really where it it is really from. So, Mm. yeah.
0: The title of the book is very, very um, intriguing. What is the significance of that particular title?
1: Right. Yes. So the title is sort of like a wordplay on Mm -hmm. um, the issue of that, you know, Conscience is objection, as I said, and other people will say uh, obstruction to access or refusal to care. And so the idea is choice and conscience speaks to um, the, the way that the book actually covers the issue, right? So it just doesn't cover, for example, the issue of nurses and midwives who refuse to provide abortion services, right? But it also uniquely covers the lived experiences of nurses who, due to their... Own religious moral or whatever other uh, reason, are willing to go out and actually provide abortion services. So it is like a like a play in in relation to ju- uh, juxtaposing for those that provide and those that do not provide. And then in more technical terms, we have the you know the term of conscientious objection as well as the term of conscientious um, commitment as well. And so so the play of words is really that uh, this book really looks at the reasons and try to, um, as it relates to legal, you know, political, as well as sociocultural factors that influences why nurses provide or do not provide uh, abortion services, especially uh, within uh, a legal context, uh, within the context of South Africa, which for the past 23 years or more, uh, really has had a very robust liberal uh, legal uh, framework, both in terms of the constitution, but also in terms of the choice on termination of Pregnancy Act as well.
0: What are the main arguments right that are in that book? Like what, what is it that you are fighting for?
1: Right. Before going to the, to the main arguments, mm-hmm. I think is starting from the point of what is the story of the book, right? Yeah. So the story of the book is one, it is Africa relevant in a sense mm-hmm. that um, due to uh, the differential uh, legal regimes that we have in the continent, we have had uh, limited uh, contribution and scholarship, especially as it relates to the topic but also from an African feminist perspective has been very limited in terms of the existing uh, uh, scholarship. And then South Africa is taken as a case study um, of what a liberal abortion law looks like in action, right? And specifically about that. And then, as I mentioned, the second part of the story, which I'm very excited about, is really about nurses and midwives and their leave experiences. And so part of what that does then is to say, especially with regards to the main, some of the main arguments, one in relation to the legal argument, uh, is that uh, due to the fact that uh, South Africa has a liberal abortion law, as I mentioned, the Choice and Termination of Pregnancy Act, which did not necessarily provide or regulate um, conscience, the practice of conscientious objection. And so what this meant is that it creates more of a discretionary space where healthcare providers, including nurses and midwives, can provide or not provide, regardless of the fact that there is ambiguity in relation to the law. And so um, the argument then becomes that due to the discretionary space, uh, access to abortion services for women and girls is impacted. And then um, really then grounded in on uh, in international human rights uh, norms and standards to say, there are standards that can be useful as we regulate uh, the practice of conscientious objection and what that looks like uh, for the South African context. And so what I then did was Especially on the legal side, was not just to look at the normative framework within the South African context, but also uh, doing a comparative analysis. And so, uh, part of the part of the book, especially I think Chapter Six, if I'm not mistaken, really focuses on. What does the regulation of conscientious objection looks like within the south african context both in relation to um, utilizing the the south african constitution as well as international regional human rights norms and standards but also drawing uh, lessons from uh, other jurisprudence and so for example latin america has have very progressive jurisprudence especially in relation to the regulation of abortion, especially consensus objection. And so I drew quite a lot, especially from the Colombian court as well as uh, from the other uh, Latin American context, to say if South Africa is thinking about regulation, this is what it might look like, right? These are the minimum bench standards mm-hmm. in relation. If a healthcare provider says, I will not provide abortion services, they have a duty to refer to another healthcare provider. They do or cannot uh, uh, refuse to provide in an emergency, and so do standards, but also uh, in relation to uh, what um, the standards should be, especially if, as I know, and I'm uh, part of um, several um, sexual and and reproductive rights uh, organizations uh, within the South African context and beyond, where there is now a thinking about what doesn't mean, for example, uh, to take a case on consensus objection to the court. So we have uh, jurisprudence from that. And so part of what I did with the book is really saying, based on what is currently happening, this is the strategy or the legal strategies and the approaches even for the court to think of uh, as a regulator. So that's more of the legal part. Mm-hmm. I know that might be boring for, no, no. Uh, uh, you know, for some people. But yeah, but the other exciting, I think for me, the other exciting part, as I said, was really in terms of uh, looking at the leave experiences of nurses and midwives. And so the argument there is really that you know, it, it is not a one size fits all, especially when you look at the process of decision making by nurses as it relates to whether they will provide or not provide, whether they will assist or not assist um, in relation to providing abor- legal abortion um, in that um, in that sense. And so what the le- what the argument for that really is, especially with regard to the book, is that it needs to be uh, locally contextualized, right, and also looking at an intersectional analysis where um, we see, especially from, um, and, and you can read later, I mean, there are extracts, especially in the tone and the voice of um, nurses and midwives. In relation to that, um, what we think are the reasons for why um, nurses and midwives will say, no, I will not provide abortion services Defers, right? Um, so in most cases, especially from, even though it is a small sample, right, but it can also speak to what is currently happening is that quite a number of nurses, are not necessarily, you know, saying no to everything, uh, especially when it comes to uh, providing abortion services, but they will be considered, you know, situational objectives in a sense, right? Situational objectives in a sense that they are willing to provide abortion services, for example, in cases of rape, as well as other um, such situations that entails violence, for example. Um, but in other cases, they are like, no, I wouldn't provide abortion services because this is repeat abortion or Due to uh, failed contraception as well as others, so I think part of what this book offers really is, um, you know, an insightful and I hope new perspective that bridges just, you know, the, the scholarship that is really siloed, right? Scholarship that is really looks at the legal element and scholarship that really looks at health uh, healthcare providers' attitudes, but also beliefs as well, and really tries to bring these two very different walls mm-hmm. together because. The reality is that as we talk about the provision of abortion services, the law intersects obviously with public health, with health, but also with politics as well and what
0: that that looks like uh, within that particular framework. Most of the findings in this book have been through excessive and intensive research Mm -hmm. and I want to know personally what are your takeaways from the whole total experience of the research? Yeah,
1: so I mean a couple of things. Um, I think one is, as I mentioned during the book launch, was really that I was um I was striked uh by the bravery, the commitment and the resilience of nurses and midwives who provide abortion. Um, because in one of the chapters, um I, you know, I, I sort of analyzed the data, especially as it relates to the challenges that they face, right? And one of the key challenges that they face obviously has to do with stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being called baby killers, mm-hmm. being called other names, uh, but also the work environment not being supportive as well as um the um the the hospital or the clinics not mm-hmm. being very supportive in that sense and so making their jobs difficult so i think one thing i really take away is that despite all of that mm-hmm. they come in day out because they know that for example and 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 which is unfair right that if for example they do not or they they are out for the whole week, that means that you know, abortion services in a particular clinic is at a standstill, right? What does this look like and what does it take for someone to wake up despite all these challenges every single day to go out there and do this as well? In terms of just doing the process, I think apart from the recognition of the engagement of these nurses and midwives, it's also just in relation to other people that are doing the work as well. But also I think part of it is also coming from a position where as lawyers, we like the law, Mm -hmm. which is great. um, And I think it is important. And that's part of the argument of the Mm -hmm. book, right? That we do need regulations um, in relation to consensus objection. Mm -hmm. But I think um, what I try to do with the book as well is really also saying, let's look at the law in action, right? That laws do not exist in a vacuum. And as we think of you know, coming up whether it is liberal abortion law or it's coming up with other laws that advances uh, the rights of women and girls as well as other other more marginalized groups. Mm-hmm. It is important to also acknowledge uh, the circumstances that the laws exist and how to uh, really address those as well and for me, as i said as an you know as an African feminist scholar and researcher, I was very much you know, cognizant um, mm-hmm. of um, my positionality coming in both as one that is a, you know, a human rights lawyer, a human rights mm-hmm. activist, and obviously pro-sexual and reproductive rights. So I was very aware that I had, uh, you know, biases as well, mm-hmm. but also um, making sure that, especially in the research process, that I do not invariably, you know, uh, especially when talking to other categories of people that did not necessarily support abortion rights, mm-hmm. not to articulate my own personality and my own perspective, right? It was hard, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, in relation to that. But I also, I think for me, what I also reflected in the process as well was that I am doing um, research in South Africa, on South Africa, I am not South African, right? Mm -hmm. And so acknowledging that and making sure that that was really at the back of my mind as I did the research was also knowing that I was not in a position, and I don't think anybody is, to say this is reflective of the, Everyday South African woman. This is a small sample. Obviously, it mm-hmm. gives new insights, mm-hmm. but it is not necessarily that mm-hmm. this speaks to the experiences mm-hmm. of every single nurse and midwife within the South African, uh, within the South African context. And I think, in in terms of my positionality as well, it's just was also that I wasn't a healthcare provider, mm-hmm. right? Whilst obviously this meant that it was a useful space for me to bring fresh perspective, mm-hmm. but it was also that I wasn't like I am I am not a nurse, right? So even though, you know, the stories that I was told, uh, the data that I collected was useful um, in relation to being able to articulate that, but it also meant that I do not have the lived experiences of these nurses. And so I think the takeaway is like, that as much as possible, I have tried to address my own biases and limitations as it relates to uh, the research, but at the end of the day as well, the data that I present is also from my own perspective. In Uh, in summary, uh, congrats (laughs) on that whole
0: no discovery. There's a lot of like research Mm -hmm. that's going ongoing about this. What kind of makes your book stand out, and what kind of makes it like it's very important. Book to contribute to the debate.
1: Yeah, thanks for that question, and I think it goes back to the mm-hmm. to the comment before about it being Africa relevant, mm-hmm. it being a law in action in relation to the South African context. It is also relating to the lived experience of nurses and midwives. What I do do want to say, especially with the midwives, that I think what I haven't I have not seen in the literature as well mm-hmm. is this unique group of midwives and nurses who own their own abortion clinics, right? So they run their own abortion clinics, and their challenges are quite different from the challenges faced by nurses in public facilities. And also that the research that I did as well, uh, there is variation. So the research was both public-private for the nurses, uh, but also it was Hao Tang and Limpopo as well. So really looking at the dynamics between rural urban and what that, um, what that looks like. I think what this book really offers, apart from the very nice cover, mm-hmm. um, I suppose, is I think when I was also thinking of the way that the book was structured, was one that um, obviously transcends um, the usefulness, not just for lawyers and activists, but also healthcare providers, policymakers, and, and, and things like that. And what I wanted, and I think it is really nicely done, especially as it relates to the various chapters, is that anybody can take the book and read a particular chapter and you're good. Right. I would love for you to read the whole book, obviously, yeah. right? But for example, I can say an academic teaching in the sexual and reproductive rights program can pick a, the chapter on normative framework and mm-hmm. and assign it to the class, right? Mm-hmm. Um, activists uh, that are thinking about court cases can take a specific chapter and say, oh, there might be legal strategies here uh, that we can look at. Healthcare providers, for example, can also take a particular chapter and say, oh, this is insightful as it relates to the challenges that public health uh, nurses face as it relates to abortion services and perhaps these are the things that we need to address. But also for those that want to think around um, what are legal, not just legal strategies, but strategies to perhaps move the needle as it relates to those that refuse to provide can also do that. And for me, when I was doing the research, especially, um, you know, in last couple of years ago was my involvement uh, with the i pass project that was done um, that was bringing together a multiple of countries. So Bolivia, Mexico, as well as uh, mm-hmm. South Africa, and I got to go to Mexico City, which was really nice. Mm-hmm. But part of it was really thinking of what are sort of uh, rapid interventions mm-hmm. as it relates to um you know, moving, as I said, moving um the needle um, especially for those that do not provide um provide abortion services as well. So I think I think in a general sense the book is very, if I can say so myself, the book is very timely, right? And this is this is this is useful, especially as we see um, the rise uh, of anti-rights movement, but also specifically on sexual and reproductive rights and how um, there is sort of um, a transplanting and a borrowing, uh, especially with regard to uh, the conservative movement. So, for example, recent research that I did with colleagues was really trying to map out uh, the connection between conservative actors in South Africa, Kenya, and Ghana, uh, with Northern based um, so looking at the US, but also looking at European countries as well and the connection there. And what we really saw, for example, was that, um, you know, there was a lot of borrowing of the same language, a lot of borrowing of the same um, uh, sort of uh, strategies. We know that the pregnancy crisis centers, for example, that really peddles uh, misinformation and disinformation about sexual and reproductive rights, but also abortion as well. Is very much within that, so there is a lot of borrowing, and and I think it's particularly important, especially given sort of the rollback on abortion rights um, uh, in the US, uh, mm-hmm. with um, you know with Roe v. Wade um, uh, based on the Dobbs station as well. So so this is this is in part a contribution to that because I have also been, especially since the decision has been out, have actually been engaged with. Um um you know other reproductive rights scholars as well as researchers both in the u s but also outside, in thinking of what can the u s learn from from you know other places and other continents like Africa as well as Latin America, especially in addressing uh rollback um on um on on abortion rights so yeah, so yes, the book is very timely <laughs> yes, and unique yeah, yes yeah,
0: yes I, I agree um and I know we would love to be here for the whole day, <laughs> but I think we have to like wrap it up, sure. What are your future plans after this? Is there more to come?
1: Yeah, no. I mean, thank you. Um mm. so a couple of projects are on, you know, you know, I I mean, that was that was also the feedback um during the launch about how do I do all of these books? Anyway, <laughs> our research um no, but I think one is as I as I mentioned, I think for me um really what I want to do with this book now mm-hmm. in addition to people using mm-hmm. it in classrooms and other mm-hmm. spaces is to work with um organizations that are thinking around uh you know um, legal mobilization mm-hmm. whether that is uh, you know legal reform or whether it is taking uh, uh cases to court and thinking of practically how do we transform the findings in this book right mm-hmm. into uh, and having real life implications uh for people as well but yeah but otherwise i keep on writing um mm-hmm. as always mm-hmm. um you know you can check out my yeah, research gate or website or yeah. you know um yeah but i I I do think, as I said, for me, why I came into academia and why I even studied law was really, I felt like as an activist that, um, you know, we need, I needed to know how the law Mm -hmm. operates in order to be able to change the lives of women and girls, as well as other marginalized groups. Mm -hmm. And so really, this is a culmination of that particular focus in terms of it being a social legal research an approach that really brings obviously my law for legal scholarship, uh, but also in line with the African uh, feminist intellectual traditions and which really centers the lived experiences of those who know and those whose voices are not usually the ones that are brought to the fore. So in very small ways, I hope that this is, will be a contribution yeah. uh, to bring in the voices of those who are not usually at the table, but also making a, you know, a difference in the lives of people.
0: Like, that's a perfect way to conclude this interview <laughs> thank you so much satang for the for honoring this invitation thank you so much and i hope that uh, um, a lot of people get to listen to this and fight for the protection of the right to um, abortion for women all over africa all over the world and your book i think it's a stepping stone to that and so thank you and congratulations on thank you it. you have just listened to the africa rights talk podcast i hope you've enjoyed this episode do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channels, social media platforms such as Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for listening.